0: So I would like to ask you, if you would, to open your Bibles. We're going to be in the book of John. We're actually going to be in John chapter 14. And as always, there is a Bible app event for this sermon. You know what that means? You can take the smartphone, click on the little menu there on the YouVersion Bible app, and follow along with the scripture passages that are there. John 14, in a short time. You know, it's one of my favorite things to say. Um, it doesn't make me popular when I say it. In fact, it makes me a little annoying and obnoxious when I say it. But I absolutely love to say it. I particularly love to say it to someone who thinks they're smarty pants. And I love to say these four words to someone who doesn't want to listen ahead of time to the instructions. Do you know what those four words are? You're doing it wrong. Ah, oh, that's fun to say. You're doing it wrong. You know, you got to say it with an attitude. Let me see if you can do it. Ready? I'll say it and then you say it. You're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. Oh, you're good at it. You're almost, wait, no, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> oh, that was kind of fun right there. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever said that to anyone? Has anyone ever said that to you? You're, you're doing it wrong. I hate it when people say it to me, but I love saying it to me, people. But everybody does things wrong once wrong? I have some examples I'm going to show you if you direct your attention to the PowerPoint. For example, if your emergency cutoff switch is locked inside a glass cage with a padlock, you're doing it wrong, right? And, and, and um, another one, if you're sharpening your lawnmower blades with a grinder in your lap, you're doing it wrong, right? And, and the third one here is my very favorite. If you're doing electrical slicing with zip ties at the top of the pole, you're doing it wrong. I showed that to an electrician, uh, to Travis, who uh, attends church here from time to time, And uh, I said, what do you think of that? And he says, I don't know. Are those zip ties UV rated? Like it might be okay if they're UV rated. Of course, he was joking, right? Yeah. I do want to suggest to you that there are people, good church going people who are doing it wrong when it comes to the way they think about the empty tomb, about Christ's resurrection. And I want to suggest to you that when, when you ask them, if you were to ask them, so what do you get from the resurrection of Christ, their reply might be, I get to go to heaven. That's what I get. What kind of question is that? And of course, it's true if you're trusting in Christ. That is something you get from it. But if heaven is all you think about or even what you think of first, when you think of the empty tomb, you're doing it wrong. Jesus, when he was going to the cross, He took some time to prepare his followers for that event. He spent a significant amount of time teaching his disciples about what was ahead. And really, in that John 14 passage, he just spoke a wee little bit about heaven. But we read John 14, and we hear, and we like it best in the King James, because it says mansions. And we hear that word, those words, in my Father's house are many mansions... And I don't know about you, but I'm ready to close the book right there and go, I got a mansion just over the hilltop. Come on, sing with me. In that bright land where, right, that's what I'm all about. I just want the heaven. I just want the mansion. But remember, Jesus spoke about heaven in this passage just a wee little bit. And if my primary thinking on this passage is that it's about heaven, and if the empty tomb is about heaven, I'm doing it wrong. So let's read the passage together. John chapter 14, follow along silently as I read these 19 verses. Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says this to them. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. living in me, who is doing his work. Believe me when I say I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. Now, as we give some thought to Easter and we consider this idea of you're doing it wrong, let me just say a couple things that maybe we do wrong at Easter. And, And the first thing that we get wrong about Easter is candy. Okay, now, don't get me wrong. I like the candy. In fact, I'm gonna say to you right now, that I don't think the holiday should exist void of candy. Candy is a very important thing to me personally. You may or may not have noticed that. And I love Easter with chocolate. I love Easter treats. In fact, eating the ears off the cheapest, most waxy Easter bunny, chocolate Easter bunny, beats the tar out of trying to choose down some of Halloween's candy corn. There's just no way around it. And a peanut butter egg? How many little Valentine's crispy hearts would you have to trade to get one person to give you a bite of a peanut butter egg? It ain't happening. And those Valentine hearts get left in the dust at Easter time. I'm all for Easter treats. We're giving some to kids this morning. And I like the Easter bunny. I've always liked the Easter bunny. I'm, I'm gonna tell you, some of the Easter bunnies I've seen in social media kind of creep me out. But, but in general, I like the Easter bunny. And I like colored eggs too. Even the kind that if you happen to leave them around in your house for three years, they start to smell bad. I guess I don't like those ones. But I like hard-boiled eggs. My wife makes them into egg salad sandwiches. If you don't like egg salad sandwiches, get the recipe because there's nothing better than that. It's just great stuff. So I'm not saying we shouldn't have candy at Easter time. I just want to tell you that is not why the tomb is empty. And that is not what Easter's about but I want to tell you this as well. A lot of us would say, of course it's not about candy. It's about the resurrection and going to heaven. Mm, If that's all you think it is, you're doing it wrong. You see, it's easy to do that. It's easy to think the resurrection in the empty tomb is simply about going to heaven because after all, we know Jesus is resurrected. We know he is the first fruits and that means there's more to follow. And we also know that those who walk with Christ, we too will be resurrected. So yeah, resurrection Sunday is all about being raised to eternal life and spending eternity in heaven. But listen, the empty tomb speaks about way more, way more than that. Let me ask you, what do you take away from the empty tomb? What does it say to you? What does it teach you? What influence does the empty tomb have on your thinking and your life and your mentality and your heart right now? Personally, I like the, deal, the idea that the empty tomb gives me that I can live a life of security, that we can live with confidence because of the empty tomb. There is a heaven ahead. But Jesus isn't just talking about heaven. He's talking about living now and how you live now in light of the fact that there is a heaven ahead. In fact, the command that he gives you to open up the whole teaching in John 14 has nothing to do with heaven, but it has to do with now. Do not let your hearts be troubled right now right now. And the reason Jesus can say this is because here he is on Thursday night knowing full well that he will be betrayed in just a matter of hours, but he can say this on Thursday night right now and he can feel this on Thursday night right now because he knows what's coming on Sunday morning. We call it an empty tomb. That's what's ahead. The empty tomb tells us that as we trust in Christ, death or anything bad, for that matter, is not permanent. Back in 1993, Pittsburgh native Mike Ditka was fired from his head coaching job with the Chicago Bears. My wife was a Bears fan. I think it's because she liked the fridge. I like the fridge, but I like the one that provides me with food. (laughs) Ditka was having his post-termination interview. Can you imagine what that would be like? You get fired from your job, and a couple days later, you get to stand in front of a a bunch of microphones and talk to people about how it feels to be fired from your job. That's what he was doing. And Ditka made this statement. I I looked it up, and this is it. He said, Scripture tells us that all things shall pass. This, too, shall pass. I remembered that because Ditka took a lot of heat for that very statement because Scripture doesn't say that exactly. But Ditka wasn't wrong. Scripture does indicate that there are seasons in life. Ecclesiastes speaks of that. To everything, there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. And as we trust in Christ, the hard seasons, the hard times, they do pass for the here and now. The empty tomb says so. Whenever my adult children are struggling with something in life, For years, I have paraphrased Ditka. I don't say this too shall pass because I know how my daughter would respond to that. That's cliche and trite, dad. Come up with something new. So instead, I just say this. You know that everything in life is a phase. And what your kids are going through or what's happening at work or what's going on in school, it's a phase. It is true in life. It's especially true in parenting, for example. Teething whining, biting, these are phases. And after a while, most of us grow out of those things. The whining thing's a little hard, but most of us grow out of those phases. And I remind my adult children of this because I know that whatever you're struggling with, if you know that that is going to pass, then you can struggle well with it, living with confidence and security through the difficult time. That's actually what Jesus is doing in chapter 14, verse one. He's giving them that commandment. Do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me also. Jesus is helping his disciples find security at that moment, in that moment. He's going to the cross. And so he's putting some solid ground under their feet, something they can stand on through the next several days that will be intensely difficult for them, he is helping them face his death with a sense of security, even with a sense of confidence, right then and there, in that moment. The confidence that comes with the empty tomb helps us in likewise. I mean, when I think of the empty tomb, it helps me here and now not to worry about or obsess about the things that one might obsess about. For example, I don't need to obsess about my health. <laughs> it's not that I'm irresponsible about it. I mean, I wear a seat belt when I get in a car. I'm not careless. I eat the things that my wife tells me to eat that she insists are good for me. I think the way she knows that isn't because she reads it in magazines, but because she tastes something, says this tastes really bad. It must be good for Steve. I'll feed that to Steve. Yeah, so I eat what my wife tells me is good for me. I wear a seatbelt. I do a little bit of exercise. but, But I don't do those things because I'm afraid. Because I have confidence and security that comes from the empty tomb. Because of the empty tomb, you can live with confidence securely. And because the tomb is empty, you can trust God even when you cannot see him. Even when he doesn't appear to be there. You know, in this passage, Jesus is planning to leave his disciples and they will see him betrayed. They will see him arrested. They will see trials that are illegal trials and the outcome of that will be a sentence of death that is actually going to be carried out. Can you imagine them saying, I can't believe this is happening. Why can't we stop this? He will be beaten and they will see him, all of the city will see him carry his cross and unable to bear that load. They'll see him walking his as it's carried for him. And then they'll see him nailed to the cross. And those, those disciples will watch him hang on that cross for one hour, two, three, four hours he's been up there, five, six hours. And then they will see him as he says, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And they will see him breathe his last. And after that, they won't see him at all. But God has not left them alone. They have not been abandoned. No doubt they felt like they were alone. But you and I know that Jesus is God. And we know that God is three persons in one being, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we know that God the Spirit was with them even in this time. I mean, despite what I suppose is a very limited understanding of the triune God, like I have a better understanding, the disciples had a very limited understanding of the triune God, Jesus tells them something about the Holy Spirit in verse 16. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. And you understand That happened in its fullness on Pentecost, but Pentecost was a long way down the calendar. Jesus goes on and says, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. It's almost as though that last part there for Jesus is an afterthought. If you can think of Jesus as having an afterthought, Uh, I will send the Holy Spirit and, oh, you know what? In a sense, he's already here. With you. The Spirit of truth, you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. He hasn't abandoned them. It's easy to trust God, though, when you can see water being turned into wine. It's really easy to trust Jesus as he is silencing some of the most brilliant religious minds of the day. One after another, he's just beating them in every argument, you know? That just got to feel good to be on his team, right? I can trust him. I can trust Jesus. Very easy to trust him when he says, Lazarus, come forth. And son of a gun, the dead man comes out wearing his grave clothes. It's easy to trust him there. But, but when I can't see him, when he was in that tomb, I'm not sure I can trust him there. How do I trust him when I can't see him? The empty tomb holds the answer. Because the empty tomb tells me I can trust him That just as the disciples were not abandoned at that time, I am never abandoned. You are never abandoned. And even when you can't see Jesus working in your life, Jesus is working in your life. I don't know what you're struggling with this morning. Maybe you're not struggling with very much. Maybe you're struggling with a lot. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, where's God in all this? I want to tell you where he is. He's right there. He is always right there with you. He will never leave you. Or forsake you the empty tomb assures us that we can trust him so trust him trust him the empty tomb gives us security and confidence the empty tomb gives us the ability to trust god in difficult times the empty tomb gives us sort of a foundation from which you can live your life it's a foundation of love The cross shows me I'm loved. Before going there, Jesus says in chapter 15, verse 13, just a chapter later than the one we're in, he says, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friend. So when I look at the empty tomb, I see divine love. I see supernatural love. I see powerful love. Love that is powerful even over death. Love that conquers death. And the empty tomb is so filled with that kind of love that it overflows into my heart and into yours as well, that we can see that love and we can begin to live that love. And honestly, one might argue that love is the reason that Christ came. It is the reason that Christ came. And that's why Jesus said to his disciples in this very context, in 1334, he says, I have a new command for you. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And so Jesus' love serves as a supreme example, the supreme example of love. Greater love has no one in this to lay down one's life for one's friends. We pretty much, we pretty much agree that's the biggest expression of love anyone can imagine. An empty tomb, as it overflows into our hearts, as we understand the depth of that love and the greatness of that love, it really gives us, the incentive to live that kind of love. You see, the the empty tomb shows me that there's something more important than whatever crisis it is that I am facing. The empty tomb shows me that there's something greater than that, greater than financial hardships, greater than... Sick kiddos. Greater than struggles that I'm having with my boss. Greater than frustration with the other people I work with. Greater than anger—the anger I have toward my government, or or the disdain I have for the media of one kind or another. It's it's even greater than than a stupid thing I have to wear on my face. How many like the masks? Put your hand up. The men in white are standing here to take you away, boys. <laughs> Two little guys. It's the root boys. They like the masks. That's good. I like that, right? Yeah. You, you see, the empty tomb puts that stuff into perspective. And it says, those financial hardships, those sick children, those, those frustrating people you have to deal with, they're not that big a deal. Because love has overflowed into your heart. So that even good things aren't that big a deal. That trinket or gadget or pleasure that I'm pursuing The empty tomb puts that into perspective and lets me know that I am loved and I can love. The empty tomb gives me an incentive to lay down my life. And listen, that is what it means to do what Jesus is talking about here. He's not playing. He says that when you see my love this way, then you can lay down your life in love And you can let go of your preferences and your rights. I can let go of my selfish desires and my, my selfishness. I can give that over just as he did. And I can do that because of the empty tomb, because it actually gives me the power to love. Now, some of you, I'm gonna put a statement on the screen. I'm gonna read it. Some of you will say, yep, that is true as a day is long. And some of you will look at it and say, I don't know, Really? And my hope is that you'll be able to get from the, I don't know, really, to like, wow, that is really true. It's this. You can love others when you know that you are loved by the one who walked out of the tomb, leaving it empty. I'm going to say it again. You can love others when you know that you are loved by the one who walked out of the tomb, leaving it empty. Think of what put him in that tomb. You know, love is a risk. It's always a risk to love. Sometimes you see that stray dog and you have pity on it and you want to show it love and you, you feed it and it bites you. This is true. You can get bitten by a dog that you're giving love to. It can happen with people too. You can treat someone with grace and to your surprise, be shown condemnation by that same person in return. You can extend forgiveness to someone and then watch them hold a grudge against you for perhaps a lesser offense. You can lovingly help someone out of a jam and then when you're in trouble, they're nowhere to be found. They ghost you, so to speak. Sometimes when you love, what you receive is not what you give. But if you know that you are loved by the one who left the tomb empty, then rejection, betrayal, desertion, heartache, mockery, criticism, and even embarrassment and humiliation lose their power, lose their grip over you, and you are able to continue in love in a supernatural way, because the tomb is empty. Because you've experienced the love of the one who's victorious over death. That's why Jesus could say things like, whoever, very, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Because I am going to the Father. Because the tomb is empty, you have a power you never had before And everybody wants power. I'd like power to heal the sick. I'd like power to raise the dead. I just want to have the power to love like Jesus loves. Can I have that power, please? Yes, you can, Steve. Yes, you can. The empty tomb gives you the power to love like you've never loved before. And when Jesus says in verse 13, I will do whatever you ask in my name so the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. if we are loving as Jesus loves, then the things that we are asking for are things that benefit others and please the King and give honor to the one who walked out of the tomb, leaving it empty. An empty tomb makes that happen in our lives. This is why Jesus would say, if you love me, Keep my commandments, because he knows the power of love, and he because he himself is love. The empty tomb lets you live your faith from a foundation of love, and it gives you the ability to trust God in a deep way. I love verse eighteen. I love that first phrase of verse eighteen. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. That's good. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, and remember, what he's saying there is because the tomb is empty, because I live, you also will live. I will not leave you as orphans. I've told you this story before because it has left such a profound a profound uh, sense of God's love in my mind. Whenever uh, whenever my daughter is leaving her children and she senses that they're kind of struggling with her leaving, and she might be just going down the steps down to let the guy who's delivering groceries in, you know, to open the fence and let the guy in to deliver the groceries. And there, there they are. They're there stuck with grandma and grandpa, you know, the two kids. Whenever she leaves, she says, I'll be right back. And then she always adds this phrase, Mama always comes back. That's exactly what Jesus is doing here. I will not leave you as orphans. I'll be back. I always come back. And because the tomb is empty, you can trust him, just like my grandchildren can trust their mom better. Better because he is the one who left the tomb behind empty, walked out of it. And he is the one who who you can trust with your everyday concerns and with your eternal matters. You can trust him implicitly. You can trust him for the salvation of your soul. Have you done that? Have you done that? You know, Christianity isn't a matter of just coming to church on a Sunday. Christianity isn't just a matter of, of singing songs. It's not just a matter of voting for one party or another. It's, not, it's, none, it's none of those things make you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is whether or not you have turned in your heart toward the one who walked out of the tomb, leaving it empty, and trusted what he did to pay for your sins. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to be born again. That's what it means to be saved. And you can trust Him to save you. And you don't have to go through some religious exercise to get that. You don't have to have some kind of special ceremony with candles, incense, or anything else like that. You just need to have a heart that will talk to God, a heart that will say to Him, Jesus, I believe you went to the cross for me. I believe that you took the punishment that I deserved when you were to cross. I am sorry for the things I have done. Please forgive me because you paid my debt. You can forgive me. I trust you and I will follow you. And then follow him. Because it's not a a little card that you put in your wallet to say, I went ahead and talked to Jesus about getting into heaven because the empty tomb is not just about going to heaven. The empty tomb is for the here and now. So follow him. Follow him with a, with a heart of kindness. Follow him with a heart that is like his of caring for people and loving people. Follow him with a, a, a heart that is, that is pure and desiring to please him. Follow him by loving As he loved. A new command I give you. Love one another. By this, he went on to say, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. You see the empty tomb? It's not just about heaven. It's about how we how we live right now. I want to pray that you will have dealt with God in that respect of finding forgiveness in Christ and that you will walk after him with a walk of love because otherwise, otherwise you're doing it wrong, okay? So if you're at a place where like, yeah, you know what? I want to square things away with God and I want to do it right. I want to follow him. Then you can unite your heart in prayer with me as we conclude our time together. Would you please stand? Let's bow our hearts in prayer. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful for your work on the cross on our behalf. Your marvelous love is beyond our expectation, even beyond our understanding. We are thankful for the empty tomb, that through it, because of it, because of what you did, because of you, we can live securely. We can live with confidence. Our hearts don't need to be troubled. Right now. We believe in God. We believe also in you. The empty tomb, God, reminds us that we can trust you even when we can't see you, and we are thankful for that. Because many times in this evil world we live in, our vision is just clouded to the point where it is hard to see anything good and hard to have hope. But we do recognize that you'll never leave us or forsake us, and that you, Spirit of God, that you live with us that you are in us. Thank you for that. Thank you that we have the power and the freedom to follow your example and live our faith from a foundation of love. Your kind of love. Your example of love. Laying down our lives. Laying down our preferences. Laying down our selfishness. We thank you that you give us the ability to trust you. And I would pray that each one who is here has turned in their heart and trusted you, Jesus, for the very salvation of their soul. That they would recognize that you died for sins, once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to you. And if we turn from our sins and trust your death to pay for our sins, we have all the blessings that the empty tomb could afford those belong to us. May we walk in a way that glorifies you and demonstrates your presence in our life. For it's in Christ's name we pray, amen.